catastrophic cost and fallout. Unlocks critical assistance to help jumpstart impacted Floridians road to recovery. Recovery underway, but real questions about what comes next. These are different challenging times. A veteran congressman gets a challenger. Does your representative represent you? If not, you have a chance to replace it. Fight for state house and the balance of power there. House District 114 is the number one flippable seat for Democrats in our state legislature. The last line of defense, we gotta show out. General longer illegals, undocumented. They're refugees. It's really insidious to build people's trust through that kind of false misrepresentation. From the border to Florida court, the migrant flights get another challenge. The news and the newsmakers, all live this week in South Florida. Good morning, I'm Michael Putney. Glad you could join us. I'm glad to be back. I'm Glennon Milberg. We begin today with questions hitting home, even as that catastrophic tally of Hurricane Ian in southwest Florida is still being calculated this week as President Biden toured the ruins of Fort Myers and surroundings and election year politics seemed to fade even for a short time. Florida lawmakers were grappling with how to infuse emergency money into repair and recovery. Congressman Carlos Jimenez is one of those. He represents parts of West Miami-Dade and all of the Florida Keys, which have been declared a federal disaster zone because of the destruction caused by Hurricane Ian. Joining us now live is Congressman Carlos Jimenez, former Miami-Dade County Mayor, former County Commissioner, former Miami City Manager, Police Chief, and he began his public service career as an emergency medical technician with the city of Miami. Congressman, good to see you. The good to see you too, Mike. Did, Mike, Mike, did you say I was a, a police chief? Did you say I was a police chief? No, I was a fire chief. Oh, okay. I beg your pardon. I, I'm very no, well I started aware. as a firefighter. Very no, well I was aware. the sheriff of Miami-Dade County when I was the mayor, so you're right. Maybe, the year maybe, is young. There, there's still time. All right. Well, we're, we've <laughs> okay. tried to cover it correctly. Uh, Congressman, uh, you represent the Keys. You've been down there, declared a federal disaster zone. How bad is it? How is the help getting to the people there? Well, look, the, the Keys aren't, you know, when you, when you compare it to the West Coast, the Keys aren't as bad, but individually, there are people that were hit just as bad as badly and so there are areas down in the southern portion of key west that were flooded probably five six uh, feet uh, of storm surge actually entered there and i saw that firsthand that uh, people were cleaning out their homes there are about a hundred uh estimate about a hundred homes were, were basically and businesses were were destroyed down there and so you don't get the you don't get the headlines like you do on the west but individually yeah they got hit pretty hard the city got hit uh, with a lot of debris removal the airport, uh, Monroe County, the, the Key West Airport down there, uh, at the end of the runway, they have these devices that uh, help stop runaway uh, airplanes. The one of them was destroyed, that's $7 million. And so, yeah, individually, they got hit pretty bad, badly, and it was worse than people thought. They just didn't get the headlines because everything was going on out west. It got some some headlines from us, of course, because we were local. But I know, Congressman, you were pretty instrumental in getting the disaster declaration for Monroe County. And you also were one of 11 other congressmen and women who sent a letter to the House Appropriations asking for emergency relief money. Um, is, is that for Monroe County or is that for everybody who needs it? 
it's everybody, but also Monroe County. There are individuals down in Monroe County that needed just as much as the people that are on the West Coast. I'm not trying to say that the people on the West Coast don't need it. They do. They need, obviously they do. But there are individual people down in, in Key West that got hit really hard. And uh, unfortunately, some of those areas that got hit in Key West were in the poor neighborhoods. And so there are, you know, not as many resources. I think the city of Key West and Monroe County have done a tremendous job down there cleaning it up. But those folks are going to need uh, need some help, and and that's my job as a congressman to see that they get it. Yeah, Congressman, let's talk about what happened on the west coast of Florida. You have seen that firsthand uh, for the last couple of months, as you well know. Um, Governor Ron DeSantis has taken some shots at President Biden, uh, and President Biden, in turn, has been critical of the governor. But it seems like they have called a truce. They have said, let's set aside political differences, let's address the needs of the people of Florida, and that's the way it should be, isn't it? Absolutely, and I'm, I'm very glad that the, the president came down and saw it firsthand. I'm very glad that Governor DeSantis and the president were able to work hand in hand. Uh, you know, the, the hurricanes don't know the difference between a Democrat and a Republican or an independent. They don't care. You know, so, um, you know, what I saw, I flew over the, uh, the West Coast uh, with my wife, Lourdes, uh, Saturday after the storm, and I can tell you, Michael, you know, I, I, we did the same flight. Lourdes and I did the same flight after Hurricane Andrew yeah. uh, when I was the fire chief of the city, and I didn't haven't seen devastation like that, at, you know, since Andrew. Now I'm not saying it was worse than Andrew, but I haven't seen devastation like that since Andrew, and uh, and some of those uh, the coastal you know towns, uh, Sanibel got, got wiped out, right. uh, Fort Myers Beach, uh, real heavy damage. And so, you know, I feel for those people and uh, they're going to need help and they're going to need help for a long time. The rebuilding is going to take quite a bit of time. It's not going to happen in a couple of months. This is going to be years in rebuild. So, Congressman, I want to go back to the money a little bit. We have a, a short clip from the president. I believe it was yesterday when he was speaking in Maryland. And the context of this sort of back and forth, there, there were a lot of uh, Republicans, including you, including our senators, who did not vote for or voted no for the continuing resolution recently to fund government, which would have also packed with a lot of relief money. Um, and the prevailing reasons for the Republicans' no votes is because there were things in there that had nothing to do with what the bill was supposed to be for. So, so be that. Um, I want to play a little bit of what the president had to say about no votes by Republicans who then come back and love spending the money that they're getting for the federal government, essentially. My words, not his, but take a listen. Republicans call Biden infrastructure program socialism. And then they ask for the money. I go down the list, look it up. Socialism. I didn't know there were that many socialist Republicans. So socialism is a word that we've heard related to government spending, government money from a lot of the Republicans. Right. That was yesterday. The, uh, the president was re referring to last year's infrastructure bill, the trillion dollar infrastructure bill, relief money now in that pot. So, so how do you hear what the president just said? Yeah, it's demagoguery. And so, look, uh, we, we did not support this massive spending by, by the federal government, $4 trillion additional. We have $31 trillion of debt that are going to be given to our children and our grandchildren. I'm against that. Uh, we told them uh, from the get-go, you keep spending this money, we're going to have record high inflation. Well, we got 40-year high inflation. Uh, his policies on, on energy are, are driving the, the price of energy way up. He has to go grovel 
and uh, and ask the Venezuelan dictator to give a please pump more oil and then go to Saudi Arabia, please pump more oil. Iran, hey, how about producing more oil? Well, hey, man, we can do it right here in America. Now, I voted against that continuing resolution. Let me tell you what. There, there's $14 uh, billion of, of, of money there for emergency relief. That's $14 uh, billion that I had already voted for before in the budget. They just wanted to have access to it now with no oversight. Oh, okay, let me, I, because we yeah. have such a, a limited amount of time, I, I, I understood, yeah. understood, stipulated. Um, the question is more about then you and the others thanking everyone for the money, taking credit for the projects that it's producing, and, and in the case of hurricane relief, going and asking for more, having already voted no. I guess that's the question is oh, oh, I'll, that I'll part be of happy, it. I'll be happy to answer that. I'll tell you what, because I voted no not to spend it, but if you're, if you're going to spend it, you know, if it's going to be spent, you know what? Everybody's going to pay for it. So the people of Florida should get their fair share of what everybody's going to pay for. And so it's not like, well, hey, I'm going to vote against it and then give all the money to the blue states while all the people in the red states are paying for it. That's not fair. And that's kind of, well, it's kind of dumb also. Yeah. So I'm not going to do that. Yeah, if you, were, if you passed it and you're going to spend it, then our folks need to get their fair share. Yeah. Uh, Congressman, uh, before we run out of time, and we always appreciate you being with us on this program, uh, as you know, the government of Cuba never asks for or accepts aid from the U.S. after natural disaster or anything uh, that happens there that is catastrophic. But they've asked for help from Washington after Hurricane Ian basically wiped out the western third, Pinar del Rio, all kinds of problems uh, down there in, in Cuba. Should the United States give Cuba help to recover? I mean, humanitarian aid, look, the, the, the Cuban people, obviously I was born in Cuba and so I feel for, for the Cuban people, but anything that helps the regime, no, I'm against, so if it's just money, no. Uh, but if you want our expertise, uh, if you want us to, you know, help uh, help the folks down in Cuba, then I think that's something from a humanitarian perspective that I would certainly be in favor of. But if they're just asking us to uh, to give them, you know, money, uh, no, nah, no way, uh, no way, because I don't trust the Cuban government to do anything. Look, from what I understand, this uh, the hurricane hit the the, west, the western portion of Cuba and basically blacked out the entire island. Right. Uh, that means that their infrastructure is is in tatters, and that was uh, before the hurricane. That's the, the incompetence. Of this uh, of this regime, we need re regime change. But yes, if it's humanitarian, food, etc., absolutely. But if you want money, no, I don't think we should be given. Congressman Carlos Jimenez, always great to have you aboard. Always great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Thanks, Congressman. Thank you. All Appreciate right. it. Have a good one. And following Hurricane Ian, how to rebuild and what comes next? We are going to continue the conversation with Florida's former disaster chief, saw firsthand the damage on the west coast of Florida. Even as the hurricane's catastrophic tally is still being calculated, the questions about whether and how to rebuild what was lost are underway. One, preserves, uh, one person in a good position to weigh in on those questions is Jared Moskowitz. He is Florida's former disaster chief, former state rep, now a Broward County commissioner and a candidate for Congress. He took an aerial tour over western, uh, the west coast of Florida, and he joins us now from his home, I believe, in Parkland. Uh, Jared, good morning. Great good morning. to see you. Good morning. How are you doing? Well, we're well. Tell us about the aerial tour. I mean, you have experience in 
managing disasters. How bad is it? Yeah, so, you know, I, I took a tour of the whole area. I kind of, I flew in via helicopter to kind of get an idea of what it looked like on land and then go out to the barrier islands. It reminds me very similar to what Mexico Beach looked like after uh, Hurricane Michael, that category a five storm, except Mexico Beach was a small area of the panhandle. This is, I don't know, a hundred times the size of, of Mexico Beach between, you know, Pine Island, and Fort Myers Beach and Sanibel, the devastation to the barrier islands, I, I got to imagine somewhere between 85 to 90% of those structures are either destroyed or so badly damaged they'll need to be demoed. You know, I'm glad you brought up Mexico Beach. Um, I don't know if you remember, we were with you in Mexico Beach uh, shortly when you, shortly afterwards was what, like three or four months and you were the head of the Department of Emergency Management with the governor taking the tour. And we saw literally foundations with no homes on them, much like is happening in Fort Myers Beach. And we also saw newer construction as if there had not been a storm. And, and what a glaring example of how to rebuild and where to rebuild. And I wonder if you would weigh in on the future of building along the coast and in Florida, as we've seen totally, um, and, and, and how to do that and, and should government get involved in, in more mandates about that? Yeah, so, you know, those are local decisions, obviously. You know, I'm in Broward County, Dade and Broward have the strongest building code in the country. You know, other areas of Florida should be looking at that. And again, it's not just the wind, uh, it's also the water. We know how to build to withstand hurricane wind because we've done it uh, in Dade and Broward and other counties that have adopted the code. But when it comes to water, you're right. If you look at Fort Myers Beach or Mexico Beach, the newer structures that were elevated off the ground, yeah, maybe they have damage to their first floor, but the whole structure isn't gone. Uh, the stuff that is not elevated, it's the same picture in Fort Myers Beach and in Sanibel where homes are washed off their foundations, they're in the street, they're in their neighbor's yard. So listen, there, there will be weather events that no matter what we do, there will be devastation, but we can build to withstand them so that we don't see the complete devastation we're seeing on some of these barrier islands. Yeah. Uh, Jared, obviously you are, we believe, the leading candidate, polls tell us that, you know, for Congress to succeed Ted Deutsch for the district that goes from Fort Lauderdale up into southern uh, Palm Beach County. So here's kind of a predictable question. There are, it's a heavily Democratic district, and some diehard Democrats say, yeah, well, he's a nice young man, he's been a good state rep, but he went to work for Ron DeSantis, who they detest. So what is your relationship with Governor DeSantis? I mean, you worked with him for nearly four years. Uh, what differences can you tell us about his political positions and yours? Well, look, the governor and I had different political positions when he offered me the job. The governor and I had different political positions when I did the job for two and a half years. The governor and I still have different political positions. He knew that when he offered me the job, I knew that when I took the job, our relationship is fine. Uh, obviously, you know, he gave me an opportunity and I think I did a good job for uh, both uh, the citizens of the state of Florida uh, and for his administration. And so, you know, look, the governor and I have different views on policies, but, you know, the Division of Emergency Management has a rich history and Democrats and Republicans working together. Craig Fugate right. was a Democrat. He worked 
uh, for uh, for a Republican. Uh, the division uh, director before that uh, was a Republican working for Lawton Childs. And so, you know, there's a rich history of that. It's the same reason you just saw Ron DeSantis and Joe Biden uh, get together, not just on Hurricane Ian, but they did it on Surfside. And so, you know, look, I had a horrible tragedy uh, in my state house district, in my hometown, at my high school, at Marjorie Stillman Douglas. Government failed those families, multiple layers of government. And when the opportunity to help people in a nonpartisan way in their time of need, dealing with their disasters, I went back home, I talked to those families, and the idea of turning that down for partisan politics uh, didn't seem like the right thing when you know they have empty rooms in their homes, they have empty chairs at the dinner table, sure. you know, no high school graduation, no college graduation, no future. Sure. And so I just didn't think it was a time for partisan politics. I thought it was a time for public service. We see in disaster time that that occurs regularly, to your point. I, I want to ask you about, again, going forward and the costs of the storm. Um, the, the people who have flood insurance from the National Flood Pool, and I know so many people in South Florida who live along the coast have that, is financially pretty manageable, expensive, but doable by all accounts, especially when you compare it to windstorm and what by all accounts is a collapsing windstorm insurance industry in this state. As a, a congressman, if and when you get to Congress, would there be on your plate some some work toward a national disaster pool, which would include windstorm and things like wildfire damage and and flood maybe um, and yeah. spreading spreading mm -hmm. the hurt that way and making it more affordable? Yeah, I do think we need to establish a national catastrophic fund. I do think that we should establish in that fund. Uh, some sort of insurance, some sort of pool to help out the insurance companies manage these disasters. I mean, at the end of the day, Florida, Texas, Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, you know, we deal with hurricanes. We're on, we're all in the Gulf of Mexico, which seems these hurricanes get into the Gulf of Mexico and they go through rapid intensification. We're dealing with category four, category five storms more often. You have earthquakes and fires in California and Nevada. You had uh, fires in Colorado, you have floods uh, just recently in Kentucky. Uh, and so, you know, these events uh, are nationwide and there should be a nationwide uh, program to help amortize the sort of damage that we deal with so that it isn't just up to state governments. I mean, my insurance company, my own insurance company dropped me uh, and claimed that I had hurricane exposure. I, I guess they just found that out, by the way. Wow, I think we buried the lead here. That's a whole <laughs> That's a whole other segment we can do. <laughs> yeah, they I, they just wow. discovered I had hurricane insurance. I mean, hurricane exposure. I guess they didn't realize that I they insured me when I lived in Florida <laughs> previously. But the point is the insurance market is broken. There is yeah. more the state can do, there's no doubt. But I do think there needs to be a national uh, a national solution. Jared Moskowitz, always good to speak with you. We'll see what happens with your campaign for Congress uh, on November 8th. Thanks very much. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Up next, flying Venezuelans to Martha's Vineyard may have broken a relatively new state law. And next, we're going to speak to State Senator Jason Fizzo, who is suing the state of Florida over those alleged violations. The state of Florida, using a subcontractor, recruited 48 Venezuelan migrants to fly from San Antonio to Massachusetts that may have violated a new state law that authorizes and pays to relocate 
undocumented migrants who are in Florida. One more lawsuit asking for a halt to those flights may be getting its first hearing this week. State Senator Jason Pizzo filed it, but he filed it as a citizen and a taxpayer, not so much a senator, and he is right there live with us today. Senator Pizzo, great to have you aboard. Thanks for having me. We, we're good to see you. Thanks very much, Jason. Why did you file it as a citizen and a taxpayer instead of as a senator and is your issue that it wasn't done properly or that it was done at all? Uh, not that it wasn't done at all. Listen, there was a $109 billion plus budget that we all, most of us voted for. I voted. Spent uh, exclusively for unauthorized aliens from the state of Florida. And when news reports came out that 48 people were taken from the state of Texas, that went far afield from, from what was passed. I filed as a taxpayer, uh, as a civilian taxpayer, really exercising uh, my civic right. And the reason is, is the executive branch is, is meant to enforce the laws that the legislature passes. I am, you know, coincidentally a member of the legislature. I, I was there when it was voted on. I read that section. I didn't agree with the section, but I agreed with the majority of the budget that I voted for. Uh, and the governor has flouted the law that was very, very uh, simply described. Yeah. Uh, Jason, as you well know, a number of news organizations, the Miami Herald, the Orlando Sentinel, and others got public records regarding these Venezuelan migrants and this new law and published them this weekend. I think some of these revelations are pretty stunning. I want to put up on a screen what the regulation calls for, if we can see this uh, on the screen. I guess we cannot. Well, no, we can. All right. It says the Department of Transportation manages a program to relocate out of the state of Florida foreign nationals who are not lawfully present in the United States. Now, as I understand it, this is sort of the heart of your lawsuit. Number one, the Venezuelans who were taken to Martha's Vineyard had applied for asylum. So they were, were they not legally within the United States? So, Michael, it's, a, it's an excellent point, and I I can't see what, what, what yeah. you're referring to. I don't know if it came up, but obviously I have this stuff memorized. Very specifically, the general appropriations bill, which is law, uh, called for only the removal of unauthorized aliens, number one, from the state of Florida. That's the second point. Uh, what I was very interested in seeing, and, and Senator Book, our leader in the caucus, had been asking for those program details since September 16th, 22 days past. They did a Friday late afternoon uh, news dump. Uh, but what I was most interested in seeing is, in fact, that FDOT, the Florida Department of Transportation, which is tasked with promulgating this program, I wanted to make sure that nothing was lost in translation. Sure enough, we found out late Friday that they themselves, when drafting the, the scope of their authority, again, uh, actually even more plainly says unauthorized aliens out of this state. And, you know, if you're going into Texas to take 48 people, uh, that means the governor is spending your tax dollars and my tax dollars uh, not not in conformity with the law. So the governor, because we have covered this since it happened in mid-September, so the, the governor's line, the governor's defense of what happened was, look, the borders are not secure. There are people who are coming to Florida. We want to circumvent that. I, I, I want to make very clear I'm repeating what the governor has said because he's not here to do that. Um, and so he's defending, protecting, in his words, Florida from unauthorized migration and the costs of that by doing this. And that said, you know, the, the budget is there, the program is there, 
and there is a woman named Perla Huerta who is recruiting these people. Um, we've had one of my colleagues travel to Tampa to find her. We have not. So my question to you is, the contractor who was hired to do this operation, Vertol, and its subcontractors being the, the flights, the flight operators, maybe Perla, does the governor and the state and the Department of Transportation have uh, possibly a plausible deniability and maybe it was not them who orchestrated this and made the decisions of how to do it rather the contractor itself. Does that make sense? It does. Uh, and in fact, uh, it's an excellent point. Had there only been one payment, had there only been sort of one transaction, one event, uh, the, the flying of 48 Venezuelans who were put up in motel rooms, given food and even haircuts, if there was only that one event of the payment of $615,000 that we saw, um, then I would think there might be a lot of finger pointing saying that the, maybe the vendor went rogue and misinterpreted what the scope of the, of the, and the authority uh, within the terms of the contract. However, uh, after it was widely internationally reported that $615,000 was paid to transport 48 people from Texas, stopped in Crestview, couple, one of the flights in one of the Carolinas and so on and so forth. However, there's a subsequent $950,000 payment so, you know, what, one thing the documents did reveal to us was that I think there's four or five people at FDOT who had reviewed this, including their legal counsel. Now, perhaps the, uh, to your point, the vendor went rogue and went outside of Florida and did something that was not, they were not supposed to do. But shouldn't the chief financial officer of the state of Florida, which was covered on every network, on print and, and, and digital and, and, and TV, about this story have taken just a little bit of pause with your money and my money to make sure that everything was was kosher and above board. Uh, and in fact, there's a subsequent $950,000 payment, as we know, yeah. for what later was characterized as a phantom flight. The yeah, Florida taxpayers- The flight, the phantom Michael, flight. Yeah, the, excuse me, the phantom flight yeah. allegedly was going to go to Delaware, close to, well, the home state of uh, the president. It, it was going to Delaware. The, the flight plan was in. It just never happened. Yeah, we Guys, we I don't want them spending your money or my money on, on his political theater. I, re I really don't. And it's inappropriate. It's, it's not even about the inhumane treatment, about the people being used as political pawns, which there's plenty to discuss there. Your money and my money and our Florida constituents' money should not be spent flying, you know, vacant uh, phantom flights for political theater. Yeah. A gotcha moment for the media. It's ridiculous. Yeah. We have plenty of things to spend money on here in the state of Florida, as you know. Now, before we run out of time, tell us the status of your lawsuit, because you told me, you know, when we were texting uh, last night that you've got a hearing, I believe, Monday or early this week uh, in Leon County Circuit Court. What's going on? We filed for an emergency uh, hearing basically to stop the hemorrhaging and bleeding of dollars being spent. Uh, we had to wait until all parties have been served. So the secretary, the governor, and the chief financial officer, Jimmy Petronas, uh, to have been served. So uh, uh, tomorrow morning, we're going to be calling the judicial assistant for the judge and asking, uh, can we have that case management conference? Not a typical lawsuit for damages. We're not looking for any payment. I just want some junction. I just want them to stop. Stop doing and flouting the law. So uh, hopefully this week we'll have our first hearing. Jason Pizzo, great to speak with you. Thanks for being with us on a Sunday. So stay tuned. Thank you both. <laughs> Thanks, right. Jason. Talk to you soon. Up next, veteran South Florida Congressman Mario Diaz-Balart gets a challenger. His opponent is Christine Olivo, and she's going to join us after the break.
Redistricting has changed the shape of several South Florida congressional districts and also given them new numbers. What is now the 26th district has always generally stretched from Miami-Dade across the Everglades to the southwest coast, and one congressman has represented it for two decades. That would be Republican Mario Diaz-Balart. That tenure is being challenged right now by Democrat Christine Olivo, who joins us from her home in El Portal with a great blue background. Congressman <laughs> Diaz-Balart has been with us before. His staff says he was not available today. So, Ms. Olivo, welcome aboard. We are glad thank to... Thank you. Hi, Glenna. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. Christine, we're very glad you're with us. So, the most basic question, here you are, uh, not exactly in a neophyte. You've run for Congress before, but you're running against somebody who's part of a political dynasty, been in Congress for 20 years. Why are you the better choice? Why should voters vote for Christine Olivo? Well, I do not know my opponent personally, but when we have politicians that have co-signed the MAGA extremist ideology, they must be challenged. When our politician, the person that represents our community, is voting against FEMA dollars in, in light of a hurricane, when they're voting against um, protecting small businesses from monopolies, when they're voting against reducing the cost of gas and food, when they're voting against contraception, when they are rejoicing at the fact that Roe and Roe v. Wade has been overturned, they must be challenged. So you have just nicely and compactly talked about the Democratic Party's talking points. Um, and so thank you for that. I want to just sort of reframe that question a little bit because along with uh, votes in Congress, which have been varied, Mario Diaz-Balart, he's been there 20 years. He is now the senior member of the Florida legislative delegation. He is um, a very on the very powerful appropriations committee. He's brought mm -hmm. home a lot of money for factually for Everglades restoration, restoration for transportation. Um, having that kind of seniority in Congress, no matter what your party is, is pretty important for the district. So that said, how do you tell your district constituents that what you would, would do if that changed? Well, our district is, and I am an environmentalist, so our district is not just uh, fighting for bringing money home for the Everglades and not just bringing money home for transportation, but we now represent over town. We now represent Alapada, Immokalee. We have areas that need help for housing. We have areas that need help for education. We have areas that need help for for mothers, for families, for wage increases. We need to understand that our district is so diverse. And being in office for 20 years, it should be a no-brainer, right, to support mass production of baby formula. But when we have someone that is voting no against baby formula, as a mother, I take personal offense to that. We need someone that can relate to the mother, to the educator, to the small business owner. We need someone that is going to present bills that will support our small business economy so that we can thrive as a community. Yeah, uh, we're gonna have to do a fact check on voting against baby formula. I'm not aware that, uh, you know, Mr. Diaz-Balart did, but we will find out. You know, uh, Christine, uh, this district, uh, nearly 800,000 people, uh, there are a lot of Hispanic people who live in that district. And one reason why they frankly like Mr. Diaz-Balart is he is Cuban-American. He is fluent in Spanish. He has made Cuba, Nicaragua, 
uh, Venezuela key issues uh, in his campaign and speaks about them frequently. Do you have that, number one, do you speak Spanish? And what do you say to people who are Hispanic and who are interested in those countries and U.S. policy? Yes, I do. And what I say is I, too, am a first-generation American. My family is from Haiti, and I have seen firsthand the plight of immigrants and, and the fight for the American dream. I have been at the Texas border myself. I have seen the way that our migrants have been treated. And I've also seen, growing up as a Haitian American, I have seen what our immigrants contribute to our economy. So I am ready to fight. I mean, I, I, I grew up um, surrounded by an, a vast array of various Hispanic cultures. I went to predominantly Cuban high school, Monsignor Edward Pace High School in Opalaca. I, my husband's Puerto Rican, my sister-in-law's Dominican. I am fighting for, for every community, every immigrant community, but especially those that are impacted, especially the Cuban Americans, the Venezuelan Americans, um, and those that are, are fighting for those in Haiti as well. You know, um, it, it dawns on me that the uh, Mario Diaz Villar used to say, I have more alligators in my district than I have constituents because of the large chunk of Everglades you have to cross to get to the other side of District 26. But, but you, your intended district is, um, you know, part of the impacted hurricane devastation. And many of those, to your point, are gonna be migrant workers, are gonna be um, immigrants and, and migrants who come here especially to work. Uh, give us a sense of your take on the recovery effort that's going on right now, both federal and state, and what you might do differently. So the first thing that we already have been doing differently is being on the ground. We've spent the week in Naples, in Immokalee, um, fighting for those in high-impacted areas to get their power back, to get the food that they need. But what I'm realizing is this is not going to, this is not a, a quick fix. Can, right? can I just, a I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just, can you, can you, when you say fighting for those things to happen, what does that mean practically speaking? So that means number one, putting out a immediate request to Ron DeSantis to help aid uh, the communities that have been affected by bringing translators in to help them uh, uh, fill out their FEMA applications. A lot of the impact in Immokalee, these are migrants. Most of them do not speak um, the language as a first language. They don't speak English as a first language. So they're having trouble with their FEMA applications, and that's what we're out there doing. They're also having trouble figuring out who to even connect to to get help with their, their property insurance and things like that. So that is what we are helping fighting for, getting translators, getting people that can actually help the community right now. We put information out there, but we don't translate it into multiple languages. Yeah. And that is a huge barrier for assistance. Yeah. Christina Oliva, we are so glad to have an opportunity to meet you and introduce you. People who aren't aware of your candidacy and good luck with it. Thanks Thank so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. From candidate for Congress to candidate for Florida State House. We're going to talk to Adam Benna. That is next.
The Florida House of Representatives has 120 members, and the great majority of them are Republicans. And that math means Florida Republicans have the numbers to get the agenda they want, and one of them represents Miami-Dade District 114 right now. That's South Miami, parts of Coral Gables, and Coconut Grove as well. Democrat Adam Benno wants to change that calculation. He is a lawyer in the construction business and is challenging Republican Demi Busada Cabrera, who declined to be with us today. Adam, Benna, welcome. We're glad that you are with us. Hello. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here. Well, it's an honor to have you. And so explain to us, why are you uh, a Democrat running for the state, state House of Representatives? What's, what, what, what's your agenda here? Well, uh, I'll make one thing very clear because, you know, the Democrat and Republican talk right now, um, I know that's a hot button issue, but I'm going to work for every single person in our district and the state of Florida. Um, so while I am a Democrat, I'm focused on the real issues. And the reason why I'm running is very simple. Uh, the last two years, what I've seen up in Tallahassee and on behalf of our district and our representative has been inaction and not focusing on the real issues. Well, what, what, are, really... what are the, I'm sorry, what are the real issues that you think are not being addressed? Affordable housing, to gut the Sadowski fund by 50% permanently is unacceptable. We're in affordable housing crisis. Uh, the property insurance crisis that we're going through right now, um, you know, obviously I'm praying and thinking about many across the state, many of my family and friends that have been affected by this hurricane, um, but our market is in complete disarray. They spent three days in a special session and gave a $2 billion bailout to insurance companies. Um, they didn't do anything for the consumer. They actually took away the rights of the consumer to seek litigation um, through assignment of benefits. So um, those are the real issues. You know, I'm not trying to over-politicize or demonize different organizations or people. I just want to work. I'm committed to doing that. And, you know, just seeing today that, you know, my opponent didn't even show up um, to state her case to her constituency and to Miami-Dade folks is, uh, it's really sad. But I'm here and I'm happy to answer any questions and talk about my campaign. So she, um, as a first term uh, in office, she had done some things that did cross party lines. She had a couple of votes that did cross party lines. Um, and also she sponsored the bill that created the Office of Resiliency under the governor, which, and resiliency and sea level rise, I'm, I'm thinking your constituents in 114, it's among the most important, especially watching the aftermath of a hurricane. So what, as a member of the minority party, what would you do that your colleagues that are there did not? Well, I, I would like to maybe correct the record a little bit because I, while she did put forth a bill and pass a bill that focused on sea level rising, uh, when Representative Ben Diamond stood up to talk about climate change, uh, she said that was over-politicizing the issue and that we needed to focus on the sea level rising. and. Uh, as many of us know here in Miami-Dade, climate change is real, and unfortunately, my opponent has voted down or voted for uh, limiting our, our local governments to curb uh, carbon emissions and curb fossil fuel burning. So, you know, to focus on sea level rising is great, but there's a bigger issue, which is climate change. Um, she voted with FPL to get rid of clean energy. So, you know, you gotta you gotta talk about both sides here. Uh, if you're a champion for climate change, like I am. I'm going to support all the bills that want to focus on climate change and not just the ones that, you know, are specific to sea level rising because our state, you know, you can't discriminate across the rest of the state. A lot of people, even inland in Orlando, are suffering from flooding and strong winds. So right. 
this is all directly correlated to climate change, and I want to focus on everything uh, with regard to climate change. Yeah, Adam Benna, you mentioned at the outset that you are a champion for affordable housing. As you well know, the Sadowski Housing Trust Fund was set up over 20 years ago. Bill Sadowski was a great state, state representative back in, in the 80s, and it set up this fund which helps fund people who want to be home buyers for the first time. But the legislature regularly raids that fund, has taken hundreds of millions of dollars uh, out of it for other purposes. What would you do to make sure that the that trust fund operates the way it was intended to? Well, I think uh, and you're absolutely right. Historically, it's been raided for a very long time, and it's a real shame. Um, Outside of just hoping first-time homebuyers, though, it also is a rental assistance program as well. There's two buckets with the fund. Um, so as you see here in Miami-Dade and across the state, many people that are hardworking folks are trying to rent a, a place to live to put a roof over their family's head, or they want to be a first-time homebuyer like I was two years ago. Um, so to, to take money permanently away, 50% of that um, permanently, and gut it, uh, I think it's a slap in the face of our constituents and the state of Florida, because right now we are in a cri uh, crisis as far as affordable housing. And, you know, to work on getting more funding back to Sadowski would be one of the things I would love to do, but also working with our local governments as well to provide more workforce housing and rental assistance. Uh, that's something I'm truly committed to doing. And, you know, we're here in the epicenter of the crisis right now in Miami-Dade, and, and I'm happy to work with any city and uh, county, you know, commissioners to try and address that issue as well. You know, Adam, um, in TV time, we often don't have as much time as we would like, case in point, but we do have 30 seconds because we understand you are a chicken wing connoisseur. So <laughs> who's your favorite? Um, well, I love Bethune Grill in Daytona Beach, but down here in Miami, uh, Doc B's has some great chicken wings. Uh, Sports Grill has great chicken wings. So, um, are, they your, always, are they in District 114? I was going to say Duffy's. <laughs> Sports Grill is in 114 and Duffy's. And I actually saw a picture of you, Glenna, yesterday at Duffy's. After we hit doors, we went over there to Duffy's on uh, 57th in West Miami. So, all right. Well, um, let's, oh, all, yeah. let's all get some for the game coming up this <laughs> afternoon. Adam Bennett, thanks a lot. Thanks Appreciate so much. Thank you. Take care. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. To rewatch today's interviews or listen to the This Week in South Florida podcast, there it is. You scan the QR code with your phone and it takes you right to the This Week in South Florida section of local10.com. And we thank you, as always, for being with us here. And remember, we are online on local10.com 24-7. And remember, as always, stay informed, get involved. Have a great Sunday.